The message this morning is a stand-alone sermon, which means it is not part of a sermon series. Next week, I will begin a new sermon series on the book of Exodus. Yet today, I will speak about something else, something that is just one sermon on its own. And the subject that I would like to address this morning is walls. The walls between us. Now, the reason why I'm doing this one-time standalone sermon between series and is because there's about 30 to 40 churches in Austin that are collaborating together in an effort to encourage churches and Christians to unite and show our common faith in Jesus Christ and our desire to have a positive influence in our city. And one of the ways we do that is one by having at least a sermon on walls that oftentimes are amongst us, are between us, and also by encouraging you at the end of the service, uh, we have signs that say, yard signs that say, in the city for the city, and we want you to take one and put it in front of your house so that we see Christians throughout the city in the next few weeks and months identify themselves, identify their common faith. We may be from slightly different church traditions, church backgrounds, but as long as the gospel is clear, as long as our faith, our, our core m m uh, statement of faith is clear, we're all united behind that. We want to give a positive message to our city that the church is united in Austin. So we encourage you at the end of the service uh, to look for signs that say, in the city, for the city. Take one and put one in front of your house. I already saw a few neighbors in our neighborhood have them, so I know who they are. I'm going to go and, and knock on their door, and I know I will not be shut off. Uh, I'll talk to them. But our goal, our desire is that every member of Park Hills, and if you're visiting this morning, you're welcome to take one uh, also, uh, that we go through a season, a few weeks in the life of our city, when we identify Christians by having this yard sign. But today I want to talk to you about walls that are between us. Walls that exist between us as individuals and God. Walls that exist between us as individuals and other people. Sometimes walls that can even exist between us as churches and other churches. Now the worst part about such walls is that they're often unnoticeable. That's the worst part about them. Now generally speaking, when we talk about walls, uh, they have a positive function. Historically, they provide protection when they surround the city. Or they can, provide they can provide safety when they surround a property. If you work in the IT field, uh, there's that term called firewall. It's something very positive. It protects data. Walls in, in many circumstances have very positive role of protection. And yet, there are other walls that are destructive. Think for a moment of the early 60s and of the Berlin Wall. Built in the middle of the city, dividing in two that which was supposed to be one. Creating a physical barrier where it was supposed to be communication. 
One of the mayors of West Berlin called the Berlin Wall the Wall of Shame because it restricted freedom of movement. Think also of, of the walls that can exist in a family between a husband and a wife. Instead of a marriage being protected by the walls of commitment and trust and love, oftentimes a wall of distrust of miscommunication, of slander, or even hate can build between two spouses. We all have walls in our lives. Some are good walls, others are bad walls. Some walls are placed in the right place, others are misplaced. But today I would like to talk about Walls that God is destroying. Walls that God is destroying. And I invite you to open scripture to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We'll be reading from verse 11 to verse 22. For those of you who are visiting us today and are using a pew Bible, if you're, <clears throat> if you're reading or using a small red Bible, you may find our passage on page 1014. If you're using a brown pew Bible, you find it on page 827. As you turn there to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22, I also want to remind you, if, if you do not have a Bible, we encourage you to take one of the few Bibles and take it home with you. It's yours. We want to encourage you to read God's Word. This morning, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of man, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together 
to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Amen. This was the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we ask you now to put aside any barriers that exist between us and you. We ask that you help us put aside every distraction in our minds and any sin that would keep our hearts hardened to listen to your word. Lord Jesus, we pray that you speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we'll be looking at three points about walls that God is destroying. What does God do with walls that he wants to destroy? What does God want us to do with, God, with walls that he wants us to destroy? First thing, identify the walls. Identify the walls. Number two, destroy the walls. And number three, build a new edifice. Identifying the walls, destroying the walls, and building a new edifice. Look at the way Paul begins this passage that we read in verse 11. Therefore, remember. He begins this passage by reminding his readers of the walls that they once had. And if you look at verse 11 and 12, you see a list of walls. Their ethnicity, they were formerly Gent you who are Gentiles by birth. They lacked the sign of the covenant. They were uncircumcised. They were separate from Christ. They were excluded from citizenship in Israel. They were foreigners to the covenants of promise. They were without hope and without God in the world. Now these are walls that these readers have inherited. Why remind them about the past? Why remind them about the walls? Why not pretend the walls didn't exist? And if anything, he's, reading, he's writing this to those who are now believers. Why remind them about old walls? Well, there's a principle here. Paul reminds them of these walls because the first step in Tearing them down is identifying them. The first step in, in tearing down walls is to identify them, to be aware of them. Now, why did these walls exist in the first place for these readers, for these Christians in Ephesus? Where did these walls come from? Most importantly, who created them? If we look back in human history, if we look back in the history of the Bible, we are told that the first wall in human history was created by God. Remember the story in the garden? After Adam and Eve sinned, after God provided clothing for them, after God gave them a few instructions how their life will be from that point on, He kicked them out of the garden. And to make sure they don't come back, he put a barrier at the entrance of the garden. An angel. So Adam and Eve could never come back to the garden. The first barrier in human history was built, was put up by God himself. Why? Because to rebel against God leads God to put a barrier between us and him. 
But the story is not over, of course. God kept pursuing man despite the barrier that God put in the Garden of Eden. Centuries later, God called Abraham to separate himself from his own family, from his old country, and God made him into a great nation for the purpose of representing God in the world, for the purpose of being different than the world, for the purpose of being a blessing for the world. And the way Israel was to be a blessing for the nations was by representing God's separateness. That's why we have in, in the Old Testament the, one of the first books of the Bible after the Exodus uh, and, and Numbers is Leviticus. Well, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. God gave a, a set of laws to His people, to the nation He called to be a blessing for the other nations. He gave them a set of laws and they had to do with how they worship, laws of how they should live morally, and laws of how they should live as a society. But all of those laws had at their core this desire, this purpose of being separate from the rest of the nations. The way Israel was to be a blessing for the nations was to show and represent God's separateness. And you remember when, when God asked the people of Israel to build a, a place of worship. One of the places God asked the people to, to do and build was a little place in the center, surrounded by a curtain, and no one was allowed to cross that, to go through that curtain, but the high priest, and only he, and even he had to do it only once a year, and when he did it, he had to have blood with him, the blood of sacrifices, of animals, to make a huge point, a huge physical reminder that to approach God, we have to go through the barriers that God Himself set because of our sin. God is the first one who, who put up barriers between us and Him because of our rebellion against Him. It happened in the garden. It happened with the people of Israel by giving them the laws, by asking them to, to create the temple with the Holy of Holies. And another one of those laws that seemed very strange at that time, and even to us, many of us today, is God asked the nation of Israel not to mingle with the other Gentiles. Why? Because the nation of Israel was supposed to live out to represent God's nature who is different than the rest of the world. Now, that doesn't seem very loving to keep away from other people. It doesn't seem to be very loving and compassionate to be always at, at an arm's length from other people, from other nations. But remember, God did this to use the nation of Israel and, and use them as a reflection that the barrier between us and God is something that God established because of our sin. God determined some walls, some laws between His people and the rest of the world to make clear that there's a wall between God's people and that those who are not yet God's people. God created these walls to show us that because of our rebellion against God, our access to God is severed. It is blocked. 
And now in Ephesians 2, Paul reminds these Gentile believers of the walls they had inherited. Their ethnicity, their lack of covenant uh, sign, their lack of citizenship. They're foreigners to the covenants of promise. They're without hope, without God. These were pretty big walls that these readers were inheriting. If you look at the beginning of chapter 2, there's more walls there. Paul begins chapter 2 by saying, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. And a few verses later, Paul says, he as a Hebrew, he says, Like the rest, we too, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, there's some of you here today who, who still have these walls with you. And I know this is not a very encouraging message to hear this morning. But if you want to see these walls torn down, destroyed, we must identify them for what they are. Dear friend, I want to be honest with you. Scripture defines our existence in terms of separateness. We're born in this world separated from our Creator. Separated from Christ. We're born in this world without hope, without God, and without a right to be called Christians. Why is this an important step in tearing down the walls? Because unless we realize where we're coming from, unless we realize the root problem of our existence, we cannot deal with it adequately. And because of these walls exist in our lives, and some of, some of you here today, you still have them. There's others of you who have dealt with these major walls in our lives. But because of these walls, we keep building other walls in our lives. Because by nature, we like and we experience separateness, we continue to build walls in our lives that separate us from other people. Walls of pride, walls of prejudice, walls of self-importance, walls of consumerism, where we are interested primarily about taking care of our own needs first, walls of slander and gossip. These are all walls that create division that promote the nature of separateness that we have inherited. So, dear friends, I want to encourage you. The reason why it's important for us to look and identify and remember the walls is because that's where the problem starts. Now, even the people of Israel, even after God pulled them out of Egypt, even after God said, you are my people, you are to be separate from this world, you are to reflect my holy character to a sinful world, even the people of Israel continue to build up these walls. Look at how Isaiah describes the people of Israel in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. The prophet says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, 
Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, dear friends, our hearts, our lives are a factory that continues to build up these walls. And until we realize that, it's hard for us to deal with it adequately. Let me ask you this morning, what are some of the walls in your life right now? Take a moment and reflect. Identify some walls in your life. If you've never turned to God in repentance and faith, my dear friend, your greatest wall this morning, whether you see it or not, is your separation from God. If you did turn to God in faith and repentance, you might still experience other walls in your life because we're inclined to build them up again and again and again. What are the walls in your life right now? Identify them. Even though separation is an important description of our lives, look at verse 13, how Paul continues his presentation. He says, something happens, something happened in the past that allows us, allows the hearers who are far off to be brought near. And this leads us to point to, to the second point about walls, removing the walls. Verse 14, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. Not just removed, taken off and put somewhere else, has been destroyed. How? Where? Who? Look at verse 16. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Notice what was put to death on the cross. It doesn't say Jesus. Here it says the hostility was put to death. Now, that's a little bit strange. Because we know Jesus was the one who was on the cross. Jesus was the one who died. Jesus was the one who was killed. And yet the Apostle Paul says, here, the hostility was killed. How do we understand that? Well, very simply, it was in the body of Jesus that he took on our hostility. As he was killed, as he was crucified, he took on himself the wall of hostility that existed between us and God and between Jews and Gentiles. What was killed on the cross was not just Jesus' life, but, his, but the hostility that existed between us. And that's why, remember the Holy of Holies, that separation, that curtain that separated men from God? When Jesus gave his life last breath in the Gospel of Mark, we're told the next thing that happened was that the curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom as a way to signify that because the hostility was destroyed in the very body of Jesus on the cross, 
now access is made to God. Full access to the Holy of Holies. It is Jesus through his blood, through the cross, that experienced the separation that all along has been characterizing us. The separation that would characterize centuries of people after the life of Jesus. Because in his death, he died for the hostility that was past, present, and future. That is why the text paints a picture of Christ as our peace. Look at verse 14 again. For he himself is our peace. Paul doesn't say he brings us peace. As if he's like a FedEx courier bringing to you a package of peace every so often when you really need it. And then he goes on. Christ doesn't just bring peace. He is the peace. There is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. Christ is our peace. Why? Because in his very body, he carried on the hostility. He destroyed it. So now there is peace. Unless we understand the cross through this lens, we don't understand the cross fully. Jesus not only died for our sins, but on the cross, the wall of hostility has been destroyed. And this picture of Christ as our peace ends in verse 17 with a word of proclamation. Look at verse 17. He, referring to Christ, came and preached peace to you, are far away and peace to those who are near. In other words, this message of peace, the message of God, that God destroyed the walls of hostility, is now being proclaimed. And it started with the message of Jesus, so that all those who repent and believe in him can experience peace with God. Yet, Scripture is very clear that not all those who heard the message of peace, the message that was proclaimed, received it. And those who choose not to respond to the message of peace, a wall remains standing between them and God, and between them and other people. Richard Sibbs, one of the Puritan writers, uh, said the following, Outside of Christ, God is terrible. Outside of Christ, God is terrible. Because we have a wall between us and God, And we have God as our enemy. And he is a horrendous, he is a terrible enemy to have around. You do not want to have God as an enemy. Outside of Christ, there is no peace. Outside of Christ, there is no hope. If you're here this morning, my dear friend, I want to ask you, perhaps someone invited you to church this morning. Perhaps you came up on your own initiative. You found us randomly and and you came in. Allow me to ask you this morning, have you heard this message of peace? And if you have, have you responded to it? I pray that this day would be the day when, when you'd reconcile with God through Jesus Christ. When you repent of your sins and entrust in Him for your salvation. If you've never done that and you'd like that to be today, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. My dear friends, there is no peace outside of Christ. Perhaps this morning you are here and 
you have been an active follower of God, you have made peace with God, and yet there are still some walls in your life. There are still some walls from your past. Perhaps there are some walls which you thought were pretty good for you, which you cherished, which you protected, which you explained away. That's not a big deal, or that's not such a huge issue. Perhaps there are still some walls of resentment in your life. Perhaps there are some walls of distrust. Perhaps there are some walls of, of hate towards another person. Or walls of fear. Walls of doubt. Whatever those walls are, remember that Christ died on the cross and took upon himself every form of destructive wall so that you don't have to keep those, those walls around you. So that your communion with God is freed and your communion with others is freed as well. Identify the walls. Remove the walls. The removing of the walls is not in our power to do so. It is only in Christ. And only as you bring those walls in light of Christ's sacrifice that you can claim the authority and the power of the cross to unshackle, to destroy those walls in your life. Bring them before the Lord. Bring them in prayer. Write them down if it helps. Share them with someone who can come alongside you and pray with you and for you so that you might be freed of those walls. Identify the walls. Remove the walls. But number three, how do you know when the walls have been removed? What are the signs that the walls of hostility have been destroyed in your life? We all like tangible things to measure and to evaluate and to test. The Apostle Paul gives us some very, very measurable, very visible tests. And here it is in verses 19 through 20. Build a new edifice. Build a new edifice. The proof that the walls have been abolished, that the walls have been destroyed, begins with verse 19. Look at what Paul says. Consequently, if the walls have been destroyed, if access has been made now to God through the Spirit, as verse 18 tells us, consequently, here is the proof. Here is a result of that. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There are three key images here that prove to us that the walls have been removed. The first image is citizenship in God's kingdom. Citizenship with his people. You are now a citizen of God's people. Number two, the second imagery, member or members of God's family. And the third imagery is that of a building, of a temple, and pieces and bricks built in the walls of the temple. Now all these images are ways to describe the church. The church, the existence of the church is the proof that walls have been destroyed. 
Now, I know for some of you, depending from what background you have, that may be very hard for you to believe. But what Paul is saying here is that now these images are proving to us that the walls have been torn apart, have been destroyed by the fact that we now see these images that represent and describe the church. The irony is that the walls of hostility are brought down and when these walls of hostility are brought down, then we are truly built up into God's temple. God tears down the destructive walls of our lives in order to build us up to become His temple, to become part of His dwelling place where He lives by the Spirit, by His Spirit. The evidence that God eradicated, destroyed the walls in our lives is our participation with God's people, our living with God's family, our belonging into God's temple. And all these are images for the church. In other words, brothers and sisters, the church stands as a reminder that in Christ, God destroyed the hostility and the differences that kept us apart. Which means for us is that when we come into the church, old distinctions don't matter anymore. Race, socioeconomic differences, political parties, hobbies, lifestyle preferences should not matter anymore. This week I met with a few um, men in our church and one made a comment, an observation, that one of the most unnoticed walls that we keep building inside the church is a wall of age difference. We love doing church based on age groups. And we, Southern Baptist churches, are the same way. We have Sunday school based on age groups. We have programs based on age groups. And of course, we do all of that because we think it's more efficient if we just target in on just one target group. That will help the church grow more. Why would you not help the church grow more? Why would you be against that? The problem is that it's very easy and very subtle to use those rationales to do all kinds of segregations in the life of the church in the name of missions. But in doing so, we miss the very DNA what makes the church the church. Namely, the walls of separation have been torn apart. And when we do ministry in this way, we're not proving that the, walls have been, that the walls have been destroyed. We just keep building those walls again and again. They're a little nicer. They're a little prettier. They have all kinds of variety of colors, but they're there. My friend, do you ever think about the church as a reminder or as a proof that the walls of separation have been destroyed? How sad that oftentimes churches have become the arena of hostility. The very community that came into existence because the walls have been destroyed, the very community that was designed to be the place of peace, the experience of harmony between men and God and harmony between men and men, oftentimes is the arena of separation and division. 
Now, I, I don't want to be an idealist. I don't think there are churches where separation can never, be, can never exist. I think we're always going to have that until the Lord returns. The issue is not whether or not we're going to see tendencies towards separation or different blocks that keep us aside, keep us separate. The question is not whether or not such tendencies exist. The question is, how should we handle such walls when they keep popping up in our midst? Should we ignore them? Should we celebrate them? Should we find our identity around those walls as the, as the church in Corinth did around certain leaders? Paul says, I want to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because He was on the cross that the hostility and the spirit of separation was broken. And that's why, dear friends, when we think of the life of the church, when we think about the walls that oftentimes pop up in the life of the church, we need to be reminded of the fact that we do have walls, of the fact that we had walls. That's where we're coming from. That's our starting point. That's our origin. And even though we might have dealt with the big walls in our lives, they still keep popping up. We have to identify that. We have to remind, remind that. Remember that for ourselves. The second point is we have to remove them by always going to the cross. Always going back to the cross, to Christ. Because it was in the cross of Jesus that the hostility was removed. And thirdly, by remembering that the very existence of the church is proof that God has destroyed the walls of hostility between us and Him and between us and other believers. So let us live to that purpose. Even though the church is not perfect, even though the church is made of imperfect people who bring their walls with them, the church is the arena where unhealthy walls ought to be demolished every day. We ought to be a team of wall demolishers, wall breakers, so that all those unhealthy walls stay low and we continue to be built, cemented. Think of the, of the temple Think of the picture of, of, of an edifice where bricks are cemented together in the body of Christ, in the, in the building in which God himself lives. That is the church. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you because in the name of Jesus, in his body, in his death, you have Put aside, you have destroyed the hostility that existed between us and you, and the hostility that trickled down between us and our fellow human beings. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in the church you have put such a high goal, such a high picture of walls being torn apart and of us being united into your kingdom among your people being brought into your family and being built, cemented together into an edifice in which you live through your spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that you help us, enable us to identify the walls that are in our lives. I pray that you enable us to bring those to the cross. Lord, enable us to see that your vision and your plan and the consequence that walls have been destroyed in our lives is the very reality that we're built up 
into the church. Lord Jesus, we pray that you enable us to resemble your power, to unite us to yourself. In the name of Jesus, I pray. We continue to stay in moments of silence before the Lord. My dear friend, you know the walls that you have in your life. Bring them to the cross. Let's reflect and pray. Would you all stand as we sing one final song? And if I might share, I would say, I've thought to myself often, we would build no walls in the church if we were all carrying our crosses. Uh, Let us sing to the Lord, let us sing to each other, and let us sing to the world that we are one body.